John, if I could get you down here, and Kimberly. And I am so sorry to interrupt your morning, but I want to bless you before you bless us with the Word of God. So I'd like for you guys to both come up. So in case y'all didn't hear last week, these two just celebrated their 25th wedding anniversary. And we, we didn't... Thank you. I would, I would say you snuck it in on us, but it was 25 years in the making. I, to, to get up here and, and to do this, I was, I've got this old pair of Reebok soccer shorts that I was going to put on, and then I got this, like, triple X shirt, because when John came into my life, most of the time you couldn't tell he was wearing shorts, because his shirts would hang down to here, and all you would see is legs and occasionally, like, a flash of color with whatever shorts he was wearing. So I was going to do that. Because I, I started, came, started coming to Morrison when I was 10, and I, somewhere around 11 or 12 years old, John came into my life with a mullet and a guitar. <laughs> and Davey Lewis, for those of you camp kids, David Lewis that know us camp, he would make us sing Apples and Bananas every Sunday morning, and it's the worst song that has nothing to do with God, and that's what I had experienced every Sunday morning until John came into my life. And so, enter John and my world changed. And for the next two years or so, I had the best dad slash big brother. We rode with him everywhere. And then Kim came in and ruined our lives. <laughs> because we had him all to ourselves. And we just ran around with this guy with no pants. And it was the best thing. <laughs> you know, he took us to wild places and we did dangerous things. And, um, but really, when Kim came into our life, at the time, we were a little bit offended because she was like, wait a second, these guys are with you all the time? That's not going to happen. And she came in and she started setting some boundaries for him in the terms of that she needed some John, and more importantly, John needed some time to be healthy. And at the time, we were ticked. Growing up with it later on, it was like the greatest experience for me. Because even when I went to my first, our first mission trip to Mexico, and at the end of that two weeks of really bad food poisoning and really interesting stories that are wonderful and the best trip ever, Kim drove up with baby Noah all the way up there to Missouri where we had had a thing. And she came up to see us at the end. And I remember holding Noah while those two loved on each other and they were happy to see each other. And it was like, but to me, I witnessed all that. I got to be there watching from the beginning and what I took from watching that was just how much you complimented him. When me and my idiot friends convinced him to spray like Steven Seagal pepper spray in his mouth in high school, and he foamed out into the hallway. And I remember how mad Kim was at us and at him and was like, never again let them. I mean, she's kept them alive for us. And she is also kept us safe from no shirt, no pants. Um, Kim came in and said, no, we're going we're gonna to change your wardrobe. And, and she did. And she uh, changed his life. And I just want to um, thank you guys for the example that you set to me of what it means to, to have a healthy marriage and boundaries and a, and, a, and a woman that compliments a man and a man that compliments a woman that is, that is glorifying to God first and foremost and what it means to be healthy in your relationship with him and the example that you set for our body. 
And that 25 years is a big deal, and I'm sorry we missed it, but we're coming in a little late. We're doing a card shower out here, guys, and the people are bringing in food, and they're setting that up right now. Um, so if you did not get the email and know about the card shower, um, we're still figuring out how to do sneaky emails. So if you didn't get it <laughs> and you didn't come in prepared this morning, then by all means, um, bless them. Because I just want to say again, thank you for the blessing that you have been in my life and uh, the example that you guys are setting. Thank you. Amen. Now we're dismissed. I'm just kidding. <laughs> wow, goodness sake. Thank you, Frank, and all the rest of you. Um, no idea on that one. That's, that's awesome. Um, let's pray, and uh, then let's look into God's Word together. Father, once again, I just ask that you will speak through your Word, through the beauty and the symbols in it, through your Spirit moving in our hearts. Use me as much as you can. Uh, use all the other places where people will study your word and talk about it and explore it alone and in groups. I ask God that no matter what, that you will uh, keep your promise that your word does not return void and that this will, the stuff you want to say will somehow get said and will somehow get done. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, right now we're Walking through a exploration of God's moral boundaries and um, don't have, we have even less time than I thought I would, so I'm going to keep this really short, but just to make sure you know where we're going. Any real biblical conversation about God's moral boundaries has to be deeper than just lists. Uh, uh, we, we like lists. Lists are easier to handle. We're, they're easier to either embrace and go, here we go. This is my to-do list. Nailed it. Here's my to-don't list. Pretty much nailed it. I'm doing well. They're easy to judge other people by. They're easy to do that. They're also easy to dismiss. They're easy to say, you know what? God says that's wrong, but you know what? I say it's okay. I know God wants me to get this done, but you know what? I'm pretty busy right now. Lists are easy to handle. Lists are such a tiny speck of a piece of what God has actually done to, to reveal himself to us. And for some reason, we've, to talk about those lists, and they are important. The things on God's list of I love these things matter a ton. And it, those of you who are married, um, I, I hope you know, guys, just a little heads up here, okay? Um, I'm not sure that I earned all that goodness from Frank, but I'll tell you, here's something I know. Just because most women love chocolate and flowers and cards and stuff, don't just get the generic thing, check off a list for your wife on Valentine's Day. Are you following me on this? How many know what I just said? You understand what I'm saying? The importance of that. Good. You might be there for 25 years too. That'll be awesome. Here, here's what I'm trying to say though. Uh, if we just approach God on that level, we're not only missing everything that he's trying to show us, but we're just not going to get there. Because God's dream was not that we just do some certain things and don't do some others, but that we get to know him and that we are transformed into his likeness. His dream is that we're set free to do the things that he created us to do. And he, the lists, again, are such a small part of his revelation. He's filled the world. He's filled creation. He's filled his word with beautiful symbols. 
And there are so many different places where people worship God. Uh, throughout history, people have uh, built beautiful cathedrals. Even today, there are people hiding in dark basements, uh, in places where it's illegal to do what we're doing right now. There's so many different places where people worship. In all time, there's only been one worship center that was designed by God himself. Every single detail of it was God's own design. And that was the tabernacle. And because it was God, and that's how he rocks, <laughs> every single part of it was symbolic. Every single everything in that whole thing was some sort of a symbol that pointed at Jesus and what he was dreaming about for us on the other side of Jesus way in advance. And also it was pointing, the whole thing was one great big symbol of how to approach him ever. Every, the whole thing was a diagram of the levels of intimacy that are available to us with God if we pursue him his way. So the whole thing had one great big entrance. It had a sin altar just inside. We spent quite a bit of time the last couple of weeks just catching you up. One way in because there's only way to God ever. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. There was a place of cleansing. There was really more about obedience and trust than actual physical cleansing. And that's the same kind of thing that he did with baptism and so many other pictures of water throughout time. And then in the middle was the tent. This was the, the main part of the whole thing. This was the holy place. And inside of the holy place was the holy of holies or the most holy place. We're going to spend most of today in the holy place. There's three huge symbols in there, three things that are they're relevant then, they're even more relevant now. And I hope that you guys all can capture the beauty of this. Because Jesus Christ fulfilled all of this stuff. He didn't abolish it. He specifically even said that. He said, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. In other words, he doesn't want us to just throw away the Old Testament. He wants us to pour over it and to just dig deep because it all matters. And yet to see it all in the light of his final atonement, his final promise of cleansing, his final ability for us to experience the thing that all that other stuff was pointing to. And we dare not just miss that. So again, one last time, for right now at least, Moral Boundaries is really about God transforming us to be like him and setting us free to do his will. And most of all, it's about getting to know him himself. Well, let's talk about the tabernacle for a second. Outside the courtyard, everything out there represented atonement and cleansing. Everything inside the tent was made of either gold or silver or just the richest stuff ever. And that was because it represented God's holiness, his purity, his majesty, his royalty, his apartness. I'm not sure if that's a word, but let's try it this morning. All right. It's that he is, he is something different. He's on a whole nother level. Every single thing inside of the holy place spoke of this. And yet, at the same time, the symbols were stuff that we are, he wanted us to experience because of him, experience with him and with each other, with the other people that follow him. You'll see three uh, really big symbols that, that go throughout scripture embodied in the three things inside the holy place. One was there was a table of bread. Throughout scripture, there, the bread always represents uh, some sort of fellowship, breaking of bread, that kind of thing. Or, it's, or it talks about unity, or it talks about God's provision, give us today our daily bread. 
Usually it swirls all of those together in some sort of beautiful way. That's exactly what happened in the tabernacle. On the left, there was this beautiful lamp. We're going to look at all these in detail in a second, but I want to cast a vision for you before we get there. On the side, you wouldn't have seen anything inside there without that lamp. That's very symbolic. It was a beautiful lamp. And then in the very center, there's a reason it was in the center, was an altar of incense. And that was where they would pray on behalf of their people. But these ideas of fellowship and trust, total trust in God, these go all the way through Scripture. I want to just one way to show that. And also these are some of the lists of moral boundaries that we still need to deal with. They still matter. This is from a letter from Paul to his young friend Timothy that he was mentoring. This is 2 Timothy 3 verses 1 through 4. As I read some of this passage, I'm going to have you read some of it with me. Um, but this, just listen to this. See if you can hear some of these themes and the way these get unpacked throughout the scriptures. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. Do you see how the opposite of all of that is fellowship and trust? That's why it's wrong. All of those things are wrong. They're wrong because they're the opposite of the beautiful stuff God has for us. He continues, They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends. They will be reckless, be puffed up with pride. They will love pleasure rather than God. We could spend a whole day just on that passage in that list. I don't want to do that this morning. What I want you to see is the heart of that, is they would consider nothing sacred. They would see the light inside of themselves, their own ideas and emotions and feelings and thoughts, equal or even superior to God's. They would reject his revelation and say, you know what? My truth is just as good, probably better. That's the heart. That's why it's wrong. That's why it's on the to don't list instead of on the to do list. It's not just arbitrary things. God just says, you know what? I really, I'm going to say I don't like slander. He hates slander for a long list of reasons and how it breaks what he wants to set up. I hope this is making sense to everyone. Would you read 2 Timothy 3, 5 aloud with me? He's still describing the same group of people. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Let's read just the first sentence one more time. They will act religious, but they will reject the power it could make them godly. Once again, you see his dream to actually transform us to be like him and then to set us free to do his will. A few verses later, verses 14 to 17, again, listen, see if you can hear these themes, the, the bread and the light and the, and the prayers. You must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true for you know you can trust those who taught you. See the trust and the fellowship? You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Jesus. See the light? See the revelation? Now read with me. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people 
to do every good work. Let's read that one one more time. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So let's walk into the holy place together. The first thing you would see as the priests would go in, only the priests could go in. And by the way, there's only one entrance, just like to the, to the whole thing, into the courtyard, there's only one way. This was such an important thing to God that we, there's only one way to him. Everyone's welcome, but only on his terms. This is such an important symbol to him. He works it in everywhere but it's there in the holy place at all there, there was no the back was completely sealed and there were designs on the inside and there was no way to get around the back. there was no back door but as you'd enter through the front on your right you would see some beautiful stuff before we even get there though let's talk about the actual roof of it this is pretty cool and a lot of people don't know this the roof represents Jesus in four specific ways there's four outer layers. There's four layers on the roof. The outer layer is sturdy, dyed, tanned leather. It's basically just waterproof leather. And um, just in case you're somebody like me that like really thinks deeply and asks a lot of questions, you might have on a skeptical website or something seen this first question because some early translations mistranslated this. Not the original manuscripts, some early translations. They mistranslated it as badger skin. And a lot of people jumped all over that. And they said, wait a second, aren't badgers unclean in the old covenant? Yes, they were. Would God have used badger skin, something unclean, to build part of his tabernacle and require his people to kill them and mess with them? Absolutely not. Also, there aren't a lot of badgers in that area of the world. Where would they have even found them? It's just nonsense, and it's a mistranslation. That's not what it says. The word actually means, and all the, all the modern translations and even updates of old ones, they all say, it's just, we're not sure exactly what the word means, but it's, another way to translate would be generic. It's just, it's leather. It's an outside layer. And what it's really representing is the part of Jesus that Isaiah was talking about in Isaiah 53, where he said he had no beauty or majesty or outward attractiveness to attract us to him. The outside wasn't that important. The second layer was pretty obvious. This one, we don't have to spend a lot of time. It was made out of ram leather that was dyed red. Sacrificial lamb, the lamb of God, pretty obvious. The next layer down was made out of woven black goat hair. I want you to take a minute and just think about how long that would have taken. How many goats how many people having to kill the goats, shave the goats? You don't, you don't just shear goats like you do sheep and alpacas and stuff like that. Okay, this was to be a, and then they have to roll and weave the thread, and then they have to weave the thread. And, and, and at the end of it is this nasty, coarse, thick, rough, gross, black material. Why? Because this represented that Jesus had to become sin and experience the penalty of sin for us. He had to experience death on our behalf. But the final, the inner layer, was beautiful, the best, the most expensive linen there is. And, uh, and they used to, you know how like we say, we don't usually say bathroom tissue or facial tissue. We usually say Kleenex. Have you ever noticed that? Okay, in, the, in, the, in their era, if they were talking about really nice material, sometimes they'd say Egyptian material because that was where the best stuff was. And the term there could kind of mean Egyptian, and it could just mean really, really nice material, the very best material you can find. Honestly, they pro that's probably where they got it. Where else are they going to go shopping out in the wilderness 
And they sure got a whole lot of stuff given to them when they left Egypt. Uh, we're not really sure that's how important. What is important is as the priests entered and they just looked up, what they saw was the most beautiful stuff they could imagine, the most beautiful cloth, the inner layer was beautiful, and then it was embroidered with all of these images of cherubim. The very best art artists, very best needleworkers, like June and all those guys, had, had that job to make that happen. So again, what, right, what you see is it's all about Jesus. Are we still tracking on that? Everybody, everybody still with me? There's a lot of stuff. We're, gonna, we're getting, getting somewhere really good, but I, I want you to picture this in your head. All right, so here we go. The next thing that you're going to see is that table of bread. I already told you what that means. Jesus in Matthew 6, the whole chapter of Matthew 6 is about trusting God and right in the, his provision. And right in the middle of that, right in the middle of that is where he teaches us to pray, give us today our daily bread. In John chapter 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Again, it points to Jesus, but it also points to this. It points to fellowship. When we come together on God's terms, when we come together into the presence of God, when we come together to pursue God's will for us collectively, we experience fellowship. God didn't eat that bread. The priest got to eat that bread after it had been presented to God. There's a lot of beauty in that. On the left is, is what's called the menorah. And this is that beautiful lamp. Um, it, was, it was shaped like that. Uh, the top of it, you can't really tell, but there's a beautiful symbol in that as well. The very top of every single one of those little stands was shaped like an almond flower. And the reason was because uh, almonds and their flowers, they, res they respond almost instantly to light or to heat. They're usually some of the first thing to respond when spring starts or when the sun rises. Boom, here comes the almonds. They're like the first responders of the flower kingdom. So to them, this idea that the almond flower, it was shaped like an almond flower. It was actually God's idea. It's part of his design. But the light is right there, and he's saying respond to it. I think that's really beautiful. This is interestingly one of the few things that we know pretty much exactly what it looked like. We have the closest thing to a photograph that there can be. And here's why. In AD 70, the temple, which was what replaced the tabernacle, got destroyed by Rome. And when Rome destroyed it, it was that one of the champions for Rome at that time was Titus. And Titus, they got so excited about him, they started building this monument to him about that victory and a bunch of others. If you go to Rome today, you can see the Arch of Titus. It's still there. And one of the things, this part was completed in AD 82. So we're talking about less than 12 years. Everybody who saw this thing happen knew exactly what they were seeing in this relief. Do you see that right there? That's the menorah. That's, that's, this is the Romans taking it out of the temple. This is them on a celebration thing. But that's one of the ones that we actually have almost a photograph. We know what it looked like. I think that's pretty cool too. But again, here's an almond flower. I hope and I pray that we respond to God's light and his revelation like an almond flower does. And that was exactly what that was about. And see, the, part of the reason this all was in private is because we, God also works this symbol into everything. He, he needs us to, to respond to him on several levels. One is, in a big group like this, 
One is smaller groups. We have a whole bunch of different ones now, more than ever with the new life groups we've added, but we've got Sunday school classes and Bible studies at homes and just so many wonderful ways to do that. But never forget that the stuff you do alone with God is absolutely crucial. If your heart, if your soul is not opening to God first, alone, you're going to miss a big chunk, if not everything, of what could be there for you in the smaller groups and the big groups. Stephen Covey writes this, private victory precedes public victory. Self-mastery and self-discipline are the roots of good relationships with other people. And again, this light, this idea of God guiding us, literally guiding us through life is, is throughout Scripture as well. Psalm 27.1 says, God, you are my light and my salvation. Psalm 119.05 says, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then he turned that around and he said, and now you are the light of the world. May we not only respond to God's light, but because of his light, may we shine our light. And all of this, again, is fulfilled in Jesus. We see the ultimate of it. We see what he was dreaming about all the way back. But it's so amazing to me that all the way back in the tabernacle, all of this stuff is, is pictured there. I wish, God des- I wish God designed all worship centers. Wouldn't that be cool? We'd never, we'd, never, we'd never get to the bottom of all the symbolism that's everywhere. Read this with me again, if you would. 1 Peter 2, there's two verses that we're going to read together from 1 Peter 2. Let's read it together. Here's some more of these moral boundaries, but I hope as you see this, as you read it together, let this kind of percolate in light of what we've just read. He says, so get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy and all unkind speech for you are a chosen people you are royal priests a holy nation God's very own possession and as a result you can show others the goodness of God for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light one of the favorite things that we do for fun at the end of a long day when we're on our mission trip to South Dakota each year is to just explore the Badlands. It's absolutely beautiful. But we have to watch, we have to make sure we have some flashlights and some schedules and we have to plan ahead because it gets dark pretty fast. We're not just up there doing that all day. We're working. And then at the end of the day, we go out there to worship and just climb around and have fun. But one of the things we have to plan around is it's just as it gets light, we miss things like this ladder you're about to see. There's a ladder. Yeah. And that, that's super steep. Um, it's, it's there to help you in the daytime, but watch what it looks like at night. And this isn't even totally dark yet. Once that's totally dark, you could kill yourself on that kind of stuff. It's there to help you, but without light, it becomes dangerous. And again, one last thing about this whole light thing. This is why it's so important. If there is only one light that matters... Your truth, my truth, anybody else's truth doesn't matter. Ultimately, the only light that's going to save us, that's going to help us see what's really there, help us through the dangerous spots, help us find the best spots, ultimately, it's only the one true light of God. And now we come to the middle. We're about to wrap up. In a few moments, I'm just going to close by reading you some scripture and offering you a chance to respond to that. But there's one more and possibly the most important of four horns pointing four different directions. And that 
for the same reason, it represents that this was ultimately, the ultimate fulfillment of this would be for the whole world, not just for Israel. It, it represents that this goes out everywhere. The, this altar of incense and the menorah both had to be maintained at least twice every single day. They actually had to keep an eye on it all day long as they went in and out. They had to make sure the fire never went out. The incense never stopped burning. But twice a day, whether it needed it or not, they had to trim the wicks, refill all the oil, um, bring in fresh hot coals from the sin altar to recharge the incense altar. That's what they burnt the incense on. Make sure they refilled all the incense. Make sure this thing was not going to go out. Twice a day, they had to do that. And again, there's the symbolism of our time alone with God and making our, our time in groups, big and small, a huge priority in our lives because we need that. We need that regular recalibration. But one of the things I think that sometimes we miss too often, and I'm not judging Morrison Hill, I'm not judging you or myself, I'm just saying that I believe this is something that's on God's heart, something he's calling us into more as a church, as a whole. And I'm just kind of inviting you into this conversation. I think that a lot of times what we miss is true prayers of intercession. Not just praying for someone to get better, to be comforted in their sad times. Those are very important, and they're incredibly important. They're, they should be more important to us than they are sometimes. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about praying on behalf of God's people, praying on behalf of people by name, praying on behalf of the church, praying on behalf of special groups, and just pouring out your heart and saying, God, have mercy on them, show your grace on them, God, lead them, God, guide them, God, forgive them, God, bless them, God, help them live a righteous life, praying blessings on these people, praying through scriptures, praying for the whole group, praying for your family, praying for your spouse or your, your significant other, praying for your, your children by name, walking through all of that. I believe that that's, there's power in that. And even in this picture, even where everything is all symbolic, that is exactly literally what they did at this altar is they prayed on behalf of the people. Only the priests were allowed in there, but they would go in there and they would burn the incense. The incense was symbolic of their prayer, but they would literally pray for Israel. They would literally pray for their people and their families, and they would pour out their hearts before God for his mercy, for his grace, for his guidance, for his provision. This is something I believe that we, we just... It's not that we never pray. It's not that we don't, but I'm not sure that we've ever grasped just how important this is or just how powerful this could be. And I'm just throwing that out there this morning. With, that's, that's all I'm going to say about it, but I ask that you pray about that. You ask God, how, how is he calling you as a person or maybe in some groups, maybe us as a church? If you've got ideas, bring them to me. But how can we get, how can this become as much a part of our DNA as we always have coffee on Sunday mornings? Do you understand what I'm saying? Some of the things that aren't quite as important, I mean, that's pretty important, let's be honest, okay? Coffee's important. But prayer is so much more important. Do you understand? How do we make this a given? I'd like you to read this passage with me. I'm going to read one more to you. And as we do this, please listen in the light of all that we've looked at this morning. Again, these aren't just lists. These are little pictures into God's will for us. Let's read this together. These are the first, this is the words of Jesus himself praying on our behalf. He said, I'm not praying, I'm sorry, I am praying not only for these disciples, 
but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and as I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. If the band would come back and just kind of be still for a moment, but, but, but be up here, just take your time, and then listen, we're going to read this passage together. This is Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 20. Most modern translations put a little heading. By the way, another Bible fact. I'm not trying, that's not what this is about today. Here's another Bible translating fact for you. Now, those aren't in the original text, any little headings. But this one is almost every, almost every translation I checked out, it calls this passage living as children of the light or living in the light. It's a pretty good title. This is what it would look like. This is what it would not look like. Let's read this together and listen for these, these ideas, the idea of fellowship and the idea of light and the idea of prayer and also the opposites of those. And then as we finish this up, I'm just going to invite you to respond however you need to. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of the light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It's shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it was said, awake, sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine his light on you. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you feel the bright light of God's truth shining on you this morning, it's not us kind of interrogating you. It's not like that. It's just shining down on all of us. It's shining down on me this morning. But if he's convicting you to respond in any way at all, even if you just need extra prayer, I invite you to come as we stand and sing.